Perry Dixon is ill today, and so you're stuck with me filling in for Perry. He has a wonderful title for his sermon. I have not heard it and don't know what he said, but he's not heard this either. <laughs> you remember Perry. Perry. Friday night, we saw the Wayside Choir filling up the front along with our own band. They lined up from kind of over here all the way to the wall over there, and they sang their hearts out. They planted in us the urge to dance. They filled our hearts with joy. They brought tears to the eyes of some. For those of you who don't know, Wayside Christian Mission houses the homeless and offers rehabilitation and food. And so the people who made up this choir are in a very dark time for them. And yet, they heard the music. And with their talent, they sang their vision of hope and faith and the love of God. And in that, they are like Isaiah. I can't tell you about the times of Isaiah. We don't have the newspaper from the day that he wrote this or from the month in which he wrote it. But we know that the century was filled with strife. The 12 tribes of Israel, that loose confederation of tribes, was divided. Northern and southern kingdoms, 10 tribes and two tribes, not getting along very well. There were people who'd been in exile. I don't even want to imagine exile being torn away from where I live and forced to live somewhere else with someone else's customs, someone else as overlord. Can't imagine it. Though they thought of themselves as God's people, nobody else thought of them as God's people. They were a tiny minority. At times, and some of them thought, well, maybe Egypt will be someone whose power can protect us. But they'd been down that road before and didn't want to go there again. There were other powers, other fears. It was a dark time. Their national life was precarious at best. And Isaiah comes and speaks a vision. It's like if we can see the future, if we can envision what we want, we can live into it. Now, I'm a lover of mountains. If I get to decide all the vacation trips, they'll involve mountains. If you're going on a trip to the mountains and you want to invite me, I'm going. Just write it down. Love them. I love being up high and just seeing forever. I love the vast expanse that you can see and the sense that you have at least a small place in that view. But honestly, a lot of ancient religions saw their place of worship, their central place, as being high, being a mountain. And Israel did too. But they're not only a minority people, they've got a little mountain. And they imagine it being higher, and with all the nations of the earth streaming towards it. And the language here in Isaiah is that all the nations, it's of everybody, including those they fear, those who oppose them, those who are enemies, those who are strangers. It's a great vision of unity. In a fractured world, Isaiah sounds the notes of hope. And he hopes that God will teach the sacred ways. He hopes that we will learn. 
He references the Torah that we think of as the rules and regulations that they tried to live by, but it was so much more than that for them. It was wisdom. It was their, their vast experience. It was this one ancient generation teaching the next generation what it was that brought them out of the chaotic wilderness into a civilized human existence. And Isaiah sees all of this this going to that place of worship, this learning, he sees it as leading to peace. The time of beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. And there's a marvelous word used in the Hebrew. It talks about crushing the swords, crushing, pulverizing the pruning hooks. It took a lot of work. They didn't have any scrapyard car crusher. They had to do it by hand. Dr. Tyler Mayfield, our own Dr. Tyler Mayfield, has written about Isaiah, and he said, swords do not become plowshares without considerable effort. Instruments of death were to become instruments for nurturing life. I've never owned a sword. I've never owned a spear. And I began to ask myself, as I thought about this passage, what are my weapons? What is it I use to defend myself? What is it I use for attacking? Attitudes and words. And when I thought about plowshares, never had one of those either, never had a pruning hook, I thought, well, what are mine? What are those things I use for nurture? And the answer is the same. Attitudes and words. But it's a long way from the difficult attitudes of anger and frustration and words gauged to hurt to that place of kind words and loving attitudes. And it takes a lot of work to get from one place in my soul to another. visited a man as his hospice chaplain. He was in the south end of, of town. His doctor said he was just an addict who deserved all the pain that he had, which I thought was an incredibly cruel judgment. While waiting for him, the woman who was taking care of him ushered me into his room and said, he'll be with you in just a moment. I sat down and began to look around, and there on the wall were these very authentic-looking arrows In my curiosity, I stood up. I put my hands behind my back. I don't want to touch other people's stuff. It's not my job. And as soon as I looked closely, I heard this voice say, don't touch those. They're tipped with curare. They can kill you. Well, okie dokie. (laughs) How messed up is it to keep poison-tipped arrows hanging on your wall where basic human curiosity can kill somebody? I would learn. He was messed up and abused as a child. He was abandoned on the streets. He committed a crime. He went to the Vietnam War. He was wounded in battle. In the VA hospital, he got hooked on drugs, and his drug addiction led him to AIDS, which was killing him. He was with this person, this woman, who said nobody should die alone, and she took him in. And she began the really hard work 
of taking this man who kept poisoned arrows on the wall, symbolic of that with which he defended himself, and got him to the place where he could go gently into that good night. It was a lot of hard work. Isaiah calls us to walk in the light of the Lord. It's not a walk in the park. It takes faith to keep working on ourselves to move from those angry, hostile places to the places of peacemaking. It takes a lot of work to work for peace in our world. We're reminded that in 1972, Pope Paul VI said, if we want peace, we must work for justice. An acknowledgement that injustice sows the seeds for war. And it's difficult work. The swords and plowshares vision is not a fantasy. It's not unreachable, but a vision to bend our hearts and our minds toward that vision. And plowshares and pruning hooks, those instruments of nurture, are also tools of considerable work. Clearly, I am not Isaiah. But in reading this, I began to say, about to think about the visions of others, and then I began to ask myself about my own vision. I share it with you. My vision is about wounded people singing and worship where joys and tears are expressed and welcome. I envision friends and family gathering for Thanksgiving dinner without political acrimony nor sanctimony. My vision includes creation received in awe as a gift and our stewardship of the environment exercised with reverence. My vision sees our differences in language and culture and nation and religion and race and orientation arousing respectful curiosity. I had the wonderful privilege of working with a social worker for five years who was so good with this respectful curiosity. And I work with the Amish they, who get very little respect from the rest of the world. She would ask them, I mean, I mean no disrespect, but I really would like to know. I, I need to learn, so tell me why you do this. And they would appreciate the respect shown to them, and they would take delight in teaching us, and often in laughing at us in the way we do things. My vision involves what we so easily take for granted, sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch. The vision to see people, to see each of you in your uniqueness, to listen to one another with heart and to listen for heart, to hear ideas and take them in and understand them, to just simply smell the air. We talk about smelling the air in the mountains or the salty sea air. Sometimes I just like Louisville's air when I go out in the morning in most places in town. Or to delight in food and savor that together. Or in touch, in just a few moments, we'll be greeting each other and saying, may the hope of Christ be with you. And we'll shake hands or we'll hug. And in that touch, my vision is that we connect ever more deeply with one another. My vision includes naming the courage that exists here that I see in people. 
and appreciating those courageous people and praying for politicians that they might have courage. My vision sees curiosity in science trying to solve diseases and prevent them. Indeed, scientific exploration of matter and space. I see people learning to age with meaning and fully embracing their own lives and being appreciated by younger generations. But I see those same older generations sacrificing for the education of younger generations and doing what they can to nurture younger lives to good lives and respecting the youth's need to identify their own way of life. I see a world where we dare to make friends in surprising ways like the woman who sent a text inviting someone to Thanksgiving, but she sent it to the wrong person. And when they finally figured it out and they texted pictures of one another to each other, they realized they're totally different races and they're total strangers. She said, the invitation stands, and he accepted it. And this year, they experienced their fourth Thanksgiving together as their friendship continues to deepen and blossom. I see a world turning from blame and name-calling to honest wrestling with issues that are complex. I see a seeking and finding of solutions. I see politicians of all sides speaking honestly, privately, and publicly, and an electorate that holds them accountable with informed votes. I see solutions to immigration that stop the wars that make people flee for their very lives, that address the famines and the droughts that make people flee from hunger. I see solutions born of compassion and a welcoming of all peoples. I see a new day for Highland with legacies appreciated, but with clear eyes and bold hearts for a changing and challenging world. I see us asking questions and learning together from each other's journeys, and above all, caring for each other in myriad ways. I see us practicing forgiveness of others and of ourselves. And I see us with an ever-deepening knowledge that we are loved of God. This could go on, but I have to say, I've seen many of these things and learned many of these things from you, the people who walk in the path of God, people who walk in the light. And so I ask a question. Isaiah knew his people needed hope, but he didn't say, here's hope. He said, here's a vision. So what's your vision for yourself? How do you see yourself a year from now, five years, 10 years from now? How do you see Highland a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? How do you see our nation and our world, our community, a year from now, five years, 10 years? What's your vision? I hope that you will pull on my arm or my sleeve uh, and say, I want you to hear my vision. I would love to sit down with you and hear it. Isaiah spoke in dark times. He saw a vision. Just recently, I was talking with a 
in my notes it says a young woman, but let's face it, she was middle-aged. Everybody's young to me, and I have to give up the thought that I'm going to live to be 140. And she was telling me about a series of books she's writing. And I asked her about her interest in writing. Where did, where did you get this interest in writing? And she said bluntly, cancer. When I got cancer, I felt like I was looking death in the face, and I knew there were things I really wanted to do, and I'd never had the courage to try. So when I finished treatment, I told my husband I was going to write. She's in her fourth book now, and she has plans for publishing. I don't know that they'll work out, but she saw that vision in a very dark time. What do you see? At Friday Church, that wayside choir, all spread out here, singing full-throated, and a man came in the door back there and said he was homeless and hungry. It was a fifth Friday, and so we have a meal on that fifth Friday, but we'd finish, and we'd come in to worship, and food was being taken away and, and put up, and this man was hungry, and our wonderful Friday Church people started scrambling around and getting him food and putting together a care package that he could take with him when he left. Later he told me he heard the music and he came and asked for what he needed. There are lots of hungry people in the world and lots of ways to be hungry for food, for meaning, for belonging, for love. And they need people who hear the music and who sing that vision to the world. That's us.